Hey, I'm Alan McGuire. And I'm Andrea Cleary. And this is Juvenalia, a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a bit of pop culture that was important to them when they were young. I guess today is comedian and filmmaker Jonathan Victory. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And thank you also for not covering this topic yet in like how many years you've been doing this podcast? <laughs> Nearly seven years. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No one has picked this yet. Mm. It's, it's incredible. It is. I guess it's slightly more recent than a lot of our usual stuff. Mm. But it maybe only feels like that because I came out when I was in sixth year, possibly. Yeah, it's just you're old. I am old, yeah. <laughs> I'm the old man of the podcast. So tell us, what are you? What, what's your topic? Uh, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And uh, I suppose specifically the trilogy of films directed by Peter Jackson. Uh, there's obviously books it's based on. that I'm. I, there, there are people listening to this who will know more about the books and Tolkien's writings than I do. And... Yeah, and I guess then, you know, there's been the Hobbit movies since. I don't really want to get into those. There's like the No one wants those. to get yeah, into yeah. those. <laughs> the Rings of Power TV show was fine, I thought. Mm-hmm. It was it was adequate. It was uh but you know, I think the um the trilogy of Lord of the Rings movies like have been very impactful for a bunch of reasons. So uh, it's and like certainly very impactful on me. I ended up traveling to New Zealand and making a whole documentary about visiting filming locations from Lord of the Rings and uh yeah, so uh, that was uh, that's called a far green country, and that is available on the IFI player. Um, or, or you go to the Irish Film Institute's website anyway. You can rent films from there now. And uh, yeah, I got to make a whole documentary about it. So just yeah, this is very much a sort of like these films and how they were made were a special interest of mine growing up. And yeah, so I'm excited to be talking with them. And Ooh, when so- when did you first did you watch it? Like, did you go to the cinema when they came out, or what was your first like kind of discovery process with these films? Yeah, I remember when they came out in the cinema and I wasn't even that bothered about seeing them. It was just my dad had said he'd read the books and we were in the Blanchardstown shopping centre, I think. And he just on a whim said, do you want to go see it? And I was like, yeah, why not for the three hour movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, yeah, that that really blew me away, just that first cinema viewing. And then afterwards, my dad took me to kfc and i remember for some reason he spoiled the ending of the third book <laughs> oh <laughs> like so like i mean i i take it anyone listening to this is probably familiar with the story of lord of the rings mm-hmm. we can get into spoilers and stuff yeah, yeah. like my dad yeah. is telling his 11 year old son oh yeah and then at the end of the third book he does make it to mount doom but then he turns evil and then <laughs> takes the ring but then Gollum shows up and he falls into lava so it's all fine and i'm just like i don't understand why a father would tell his 11 year old so he's just been so excited to see his first movie and you're spoiling what happens at the end of the third movie so and, and it was just so absent-minded of him he doesn't remember when i bring this up yeah um, <laughs> but even then though the thing is i i started reading the books like having loved that film and a few months later i was reading that scene in return of the king and i still gasped i mm. was still shocked because you know Tolkien's a great writer so like it's you know it's it's still like yeah I just remember around that time in my life it, so yeah it was sort of like 11 12 13 when each of the movies came out th- mm-hmm. those few Christmases in a row so you know you know I'm going through adolescence and I'm kind of yeah, I'm branching out in terms of what my tastes in movies are and stuff and it was around that time I really decided I wanted to be a filmmaker as well and a big part of that for me was these extended edition DVDs they released. Mm-hmm. So it was longer cuts of the movies, but also like a lot of behind the scenes material and a lot of them discussing how they made these movies. And it made filmmaking seem like a real adventure and something I wanted to be a part of. It was it was kind of a, an incredible amount of behind the scenes stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, because this, this was at a time where if you buy a DVD, you'll get like a director's commentary. You might get some bloopers. You might get a little bit. You might get maybe 20 minutes or something mm-hmm. of behind the scenes. But the sheer amount like of 
footage that they had just from the filmmaking process. It's as if Jackson was like, okay, we need to be documenting this because we're making a film that is important and that, you know, the scale at which those films are made was kind of never really seen before, you know, especially when you get to something like Return of the King and like the amount of extras that they had and the costume design was always something that I loved, like looking at and um, looking at the process of the costume design mm. and how like every every chink and every piece of armor is like thought about. Oh yeah, um, one thing that always sticks incredible. with me from those is in one of those documentaries with costuming, saying that on the inside of the armor, they had like lining based on like, like the person's like personal crest, mm. which was never shown on camera, but just so the actor would know and feel yeah. it was realer. Yeah. I was like, there's so much effort going into this. So much. To make it feel as real as possible. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think that's why, you know, it didn't win best picture for one or two, but it won for, mm-hmm. um, for Return of the King. And it's, it's just all of those little like, bits together that you I guess get to see in those behind the scenes moments where you're like yeah this is filmmaking on a scale that like it's kind of it's it's such a pleasure and privilege to kind of be allowed into that world and if it was made now like because we don't have these commentary tracks anymore we don't Mm. really buy dvds we don't have these behind the scenes stuff it's like you just miss out on this whole other like aspect of this world that is like how we film it you know i was gonna say like i guess i grew up at a time where dvds were sort of a thing from the late 90s onwards until i think some point in the 2010s just there was just so much stuff online that even when they did release dvds and blu-rays they they kind of had fewer special features and i think for me being a teenager that was um big part of my spare time was you know like watching the extra things on dvds because i you you know you learned more about how movies are made and that can cultivate a passion for filmmaking and i wonder how much of that is lost now or is a lot of it kind of video essays now and would kids younger people getting into filmmaking kind of see that stuff online now or not yeah it's interesting because you don't see like, from the horses melt anymore yeah. yeah like i remember when when i was young i was also really into like the dvd extras and especially mm-hmm. director's commentaries yeah. or actor commentaries so it allowed me as a person who like really hyper fixates on a thing that i love and will like think about and do nothing but that thing for a few months until the next thing comes along that was just you know i'd watch those things over and over again whereas now i still have that aspect of my personality like very much at the forefront so if i get obsessed with something i have youtube and youtube is the the, like like you said like there's not only the the actual stuff from the filmmakers but there is also you know video essays and kind of cultural critics who you can kind of access on youtube it's not the same Mm. but there's still a kind of a there's an access to an ecosystem around a piece of media that is um still like scratches the itch of like brains like mine (laughs) yeah yeah, i'm autistic so i I get what you mean about like getting hyper focused yeah yeah Um, right yeah so i mean thank you for agreeing to speak to an autistic guy about lord of the rings so (laughs) good luck editing this down (laughs) i feel like there is so much to uh, talk about with like Mm. across the three movies Yeah. yeah so i mean so so this is a trilogy right so my i i showed this trilogy to my partner recently and he had a problem with like the second movie in particular because he thought that it didn't work as a movie on its own, um, that it had to be part of it, of the trilogy. And I had this like really big defense of it that I just got so passionate about 
which is that you know these these stories are written in that way like that what what makes lord of the rings so incredible is that it is a road story and you can't just pick out like the second piece and like view that as as a movie so in terms of like how the story is told over these three movies i'm interested to hear like what what are your thoughts in terms of like how it unfolds you know i think one reason it may be kind of uh, stayed with people so well is that uh, you, I mean you were talking about the craftsmanship they put into like making all these little details they have so many different cultures to depict so you have these like lush green rolling hills and Hobbiton if you're into cottage core stuff you have the other end of the spectrum of this like goth death metal stuff in, in Mordor mm. and lots of like kind of shades of things in between so I think whatever your visual sensibility is there's probably something for you in these mm. movies like a strat like a, a a place or a bunch of characters that you kind of prefer following and uh they just put so much thought into treating it like real history of like real cultures and this was all in new zealand a country that wasn't really known for filmmaking at the time but they managed to like pull this operation together and i think that was that was another thing about the movies that fascinated me just going back to how it was made was just how they they shot three of them at once over a 15 month period <sighs> in new zealand uh and uh that just got me fascinated in how much you know like a, a big production like that can change a country because there was definitely like a new zealand before lord of the rings and after and so when i visited new zealand and i was talking to people there they they told me something similar that like it had an impact and my day job now is in the screen ireland office so you know obviously we're looking for you know ways to attract more projects to be made in ireland and see what kind of impact that has and mm often when they're trying to get a big fantasy tv show or film off the ground now and they want people to take a risk on it it's like it could be the next lord of the rings it mm. could be this mm -hmm. huge like like really big swing they took where mm. the plan was if fellowship of the ring didn't do well they were going to release the next two straight to video straight to dvd yeah. and like because they it could have been really bad but they just put such great thought into like adapting it i think they they knew they were only going to get one shot at this so they took care with how they were adapting it and yeah, the right. I think especially in the first movie, the writing is just very tight. It's just mm -hmm. very like mm. strong and immediately epic and mythic and everything. Like so, the, yeah, great sort of Hollywood mold with a New Zealand sensibility from Peter Jackson, who ha had yeah, he'd been a horror director up until that point. And I actually so in 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 my documentary of Far Green Country, I visit his hometown and I see his childhood home and the basement where he started making molds for monsters and stuff when he was mm -hmm. a teenager. So the guy who lives there now was just like, yeah, come in and you can wow. have a look at this mm -hmm. part. And so that's like that's a really cool thing I got to see mm -hmm. uh, like in, in my in my own movie and like why I would do that, why I would travel to the other side of the world and then go to the house of a guy I, I've never met and see where he grew up. I think that was how important these movies were to me or yeah. his journey as a filmmaker was to me was just trying to understand a sense of, yeah, what 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 he was kind of bringing to it. And then, then obviously his, his co-writers, uh, Fran Walsh and Philippa Boynes, who deserve huge credit for, you know, doing the bulk of actually adapting the, the works and thinking through the story. An impossible task up until that point, you know, because yeah. there had been adaptations mm -hmm. before. There is a, a cartoon, like an animated adaptation of The Lord of the Rings, which is um, a lot of fun. <laughs> I'll say it's fun. The hobbits are adorable. Um, you, you mentioned there about, about like whatever your kind of personal aesthetic sensibility is or whatever. Like I'm very much, I, I get extremely emotional about hobbits and about Hobbiton and about the Shire. Um, they're my like, 
like I'd say once a day I think about hobbits like easily <laughs> like I just I, I love them so much um so the hobbits in in that adaptation are like very cute and adorable but as someone who like loves the books and is kind of constantly listening to the books on audiobook um the Andy Circus, like the way he reads oh, them yeah. Yeah, it's it it. just phenomenal um and yeah, as, as someone who loves the books I think you're right the care and attention that was given to the actual story and how the story was going to work and what you leave out is very important. Yes. Um, there um, are very yeah. annoying characters who are left out and yeah. quite rightly. And when a lot I, of songs. <laughs> when I saw it originally, um, I think I think we might have seen it open weekend. Mm. Like my most organized friend, Connor Power, like booked nine seats for us. Oh, wow. Like we're our own little fellowship going to see it. Yeah. Oh, that's so um, sweet. <laughs> and then we went for pizza afterwards as, oh. as six years. But I'd read up as far as I think The Prance and Pony at that point. Yeah. Um, and the whole way for the first half of the film, I was like, they're doing a very good job of cutting down this party stuff. Because the party stuff's like yeah. 120 pages or something in the book, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, a bit Bilbo's party. Yeah. Yes. And then it got to where Tom Bombadil should appear. And then he no. didn't. And I was like, good. I think that's Thank good. God. I think that's right. Uh, honestly, like the first time yeah. when I read the books and old Tom shows up yeah like there's a lot of songs in that section Mm -hmm. as well and I'm not someone if if someone writes a novel I'm so sorry for any novelist listening if you include a song or a poem in your novel like I'm I'm skimming that at best oh if I see more than one paragraph in italics I'm like is there anything here no yeah yeah and like like any like you know really like anyone who's like extremely into Tolkien will probably be like this is sacrilege you know like those he put so much effort into those poems and into Mm -hmm. creating that language look you know maybe someday but um but yeah I I think I mean the first film in particular is a film that people who maybe didn't stick with the trilogy or aren't as big fans of Lord of the Rings as uh, as we would be people recognize that the first film is basically a perfect film. Like it's a perfect kind of action adventure film with heroes and, you know, like a, a nice, uh, just a nice story. Just kind of as itself. Swings, big memorable scenes, big memorable lines. Yeah. I I also think that first movie in particular, it seems to straddle these two centuries of Hollywood in terms of just how it looks and what the vibe is. Mm. It feels like a really classic Hollywood movie where the CGI is just about to get that much better where like you only see a glimpse of Gollum in Fellowship of the Ring and Mm. then second, third movies. This is like a huge technical advance in terms of visual effects, doing that stuff, all this other stuff. They were kind of laying down trade tracks as this train was coming of a release each Christmas. Like uh, Weta Digital, this this company in New Zealand, were pioneering like a lot of stuff. And that's had a knock-on effect for good or ill in terms of how film industry approaches VFX and all these other things now. Whereas up until then, VFX was kind of like a last resort thing if you couldn't figure out how to do something Mm. in camera. And Which is so I, interesting because now it's the first thing you do. Mm-hmm. It's it's you immediately go to VFX instead of, yeah. you know, looking at how, how you can do like practical set pieces. So the movies yeah. have had like sort of unintended consequences for good or ill, but kind of just marked like maybe like, like a great sort of captures like what can be so great about epic Hollywood filmmaking up until that point, but mm-hmm. also in a way sort of is a threshold or transition into a kind of new era of Hollywood mm. film. Kind of like Jurassic Park in that way, like yeah. in, in the same way that Jurassic Park was kind of this, this, um, this like push, just like just over the precipice yeah, of the I new era. You what know? Jurassic Park and like Lord of the Rings have in common with 
late that later CJ films don't have is the restraint. Of yes, it, yeah. Where they are still using a load of physical stuff. And now I like was obsessed with Order Rings when I was in college and watched all the special editions, watched all the features and stuff. And then I kind of didn't have the time to watch them anymore or something. I don't know. Or maybe my wife wasn't into it, so he's never watched it. Mm. Um, so I kind of revisited them this week for the first time in a long time. Um, and I kind of forgot. CJ hasn't, it, it, it seemed amazing at the time. It seemed absolutely like, like Gollum especially seemed completely yeah. real at the time. He doesn't quite now. I don't sure. know. I, 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 I think it's still amazed by okay. Gollum. You, still if, actually looks pretty good at this point. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's because you've been watching it. So you're kind of yeah. acclimatized to it over 10 years. Whereas I haven't. And I'm like, that lighting's off. Yeah. But then I was watching like in the two towers with the huge armies. And I was like, oh, they invented this technology for the two towers of mm. huge, ar- huge CGI armies that yeah. didn't exist before. This is like the first, it's like, it does feel a bit like watching like Citizen Kane or, yeah. you know, like Modern Knights or something now. Yeah. The yes, absence of Lord like of the that. Rings from the yeah. sight and sound list is, mm. I think, like absolutely disgraceful. Honest, honestly, like if, if if you're looking at a list of like films that have, I know, like directors and the people who like contribute to that list have like different criteria for what mm-hmm. makes the best films. But like when you look at what it did for filmmaking and what it did for that technology and what I'm just what it is like as a film. Mm-hmm. Like it absolutely deserves to be on that list. Come yeah. on, there's a hundred films. Yeah. Like, and there's it, some boring films in there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've been making my way through. Like, well, my boyfriend's been making his way through a lot of the films that we haven't seen, and I've been watching a lot of them. And I'm like, Lord of the Rings is better than this. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it inspired a whole generation of filmmakers, myself included. Yeah. Like, I'm on mm-hmm. this path in life now because you know, seeing the actors and crew and whoever like talk about it. The, what it was like behind the scenes it sounds like a big adventure and it's like i want to have experiences like these people had mm. Mm. let's talk about some of the characters mm. because these are you know they're the the beating hearts of the film i saw um th- there's this guy i can't remember his name but on tiktok he's called like the lord of the rings guy or something and he's like extremely extremely knowledgeable about the books he's read the Cimmerillion, like he's or like like properly read it mm-hmm. and um somebody asked him in a comment like which which character is like the best in the fellowship and he went through all the characters and at the end he was like but the truth is that the point of the fellowship is that they all bring out the best in each other and that they're all completely vital in order for Frodo to kind of complete this journey um and I hadn't really thought about it as that kind of like group project sort of Mm -hmm. idea um and once I started thinking about that it kind of opened just like a new um appreciation of like just how well written all of the characters are you know because if if one has a flaw there's another one to help them with that flaw like Frodo and Sam would be like the obvious um the the obvious example of that but I mean you can see it like elsewhere in the fellowship as well so Mm. yeah who are who are you guys' favorite characters um, when I read the book, I really liked Faramir. So mm. I was kind of upset with what they did to him in the Two Towers, where they made him more Boromir. Yeah, I feel like he could have been a little more unambiguously not Boromir. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the films on this rewatch, um, I kind of had gone away from Aragorn. Aragorn is just great. Yeah, he's great. Where he just opens the doors and yeah. hands deep. It's oh, just it's stop. good. <laughs> You know, here you tell it. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the concept of toxic masculinity implies 
positive masculinity or yeah. like what a good masculine role model would be and like Aragorn and, and, and to some extent the actor of Viggo Mortensen just do seem to embody that for me yeah. mm-hmm. he's always I've noticed they show a lot of scenes of him just like watching everybody else and kind of looking looking at them and like watching out for them mm. and he's very outward focused he's like like he's could be the king and he's not because he's looking out for everybody else yeah like it's really appealing yeah that's it it's the like it's a great aspect of his character mm. his like lack of desire for power yeah and like and that that is like a kind of a you know a trope in fantasy and things mm. but it's done so well and so subtly with his character yeah um that he's not he's not necessarily a natural leader but he kind of grows into that role as the as yeah. the story progresses um, when I was in my Deep Lord of the Rings phase, I read Christopher Tolkien brought out like a book that was like the first five drafts of Lord of the Rings. Wow. And it was up as like as far as the Prance and Pony, like for the first three. And he kept on going, no, and go back to the start and doing it again. Wow. But Aragorn was like had trotters and was a pig called Trotter for oh like, my the first God. couple of drafts, which would have been a very different film, I think. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> There's an early draft of The Hobbit where Gandalf is called Bladorthin. Which sounds like a medication. It's yeah. just like, you know, I think it's, it's like just, a heartburn medication. <laughs> if any writers are listening, because it, it's a tendency to be so hard on your own work, like Tolkien, it took many drafts mm-hmm. to like get to this point, and you know, so yeah. and it's like it was like more than a decade writing Lord of the Rings. He books, just wanted and, to write like pastoral stuff about hobbits and he accidentally stumbled into a bigger story about the ring yeah he like literally has said i could just write about hobbits all day i mean like so some of my favorite tolkien writing is that first section of the hobbit where Mm. he just describes like the history of hobbits and their their ways and their you know their little eccentricities and stuff Mm. i will just like read that as like yeah. Just like a little comfort read sometimes. It's mm. so beautiful. And then Who's he's like, oh, I be- better put a plot in it. Yeah. Um, mine, Frodo. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know that that might be like a basic answer. but I don't if- think it is, actually. Well, yeah. I think Aragorn's so- a basic answer. Yeah. yeah, I guess. Yeah, or Legolas, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, Could I ask what you think of Legolas, actually? Because if you'd asked me this question when the movies came out, I would have said, Legolas, yeah. he's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, pe- he's, he's a bit like Marmite, I think. Like, I, I, I feel like Legolas is, you know, he's... He's really useful. Like he's yeah. a very <laughs> useful guy, but I wouldn't say he's the most like charismatic character. Um, no, but when he goes down the shield, that's firing awesome. arrows. Because I remember us coming out of Two Towers and being like, I can't wait to see what Legolas does in the next one. Yeah. It's going to be fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I th- yeah, I think, uh, and he was also the character that all the girls had a crush on when mm. I was young. And then I used to be really embarrassed if they'd ask me who I liked and I'd be like, Frodo. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> I'd be like, you like Frodo, that's so lame. I'm like, he's got big eyes and he's so brave. I mean, like, but when, uh, I, when I was young though, I thought Orlando Bloom was so cool. And I actually, yeah, so the, the, the positive masculinity thing, I have another article in Head Stuff about his movie, Kingdom of Heaven, and mm. the character he plays in that. And I kind of felt like people weren't giving Orlando Bloom a fair shake for his career. But uh, when I was in Wellington, doing one of the Lord of the Rings tour. I had a great tour guide who was an actor himself. And he explained that Orlando Bloom got cast in in Lord of the Rings before he finished drama school. So a lot Ah. of actors kind of just resent him for that, that he didn't even finish training and he got this huge break and huge career. Um, But yeah, I guess it was just sort of the, the, uh, you you know, just really took well to this kind of action star role and and doing all Mm. the action and embodying that stuff. And, uh, you know, people say he's a bit wooden, but like he's worked with big directors like Ridley Scott and Peter Jackson. Mm. I haven't. I would maintain that Orlando (laughs) Bloom is relatively... 
He's yeah. relatively good at acting. Like he's, yeah. yeah, like he's, it, it's not like they're giving him like the big emotional scenes or anything. Like he's an mm. elf. He's supposed to be kind of above, uh, you know, the, yeah. like all, all of these kind of like interpersonal or like even like wars between men or whoever it is. Like the elves are resistant to even getting involved with the whole Sauron thing before it's clear that they're. Mm it's going to affect them um which is why i just i'm not really wild about the elves but um, you, you know who's great as an elf though was kate blanchett as gladriel yeah. because the most recent time Incredible. i watched it something that struck me was it, it's also the music and editing around her but like her performance it just makes galadriel so weird and mm. i think that's an aspect mm. of the elves that like especially the older more powerful elves they need to have this more kind of like I, I can't think of a better word than weird vibe. And mm. just, it would be great if there was kind of more of that or some kind of spin off movie. If it's just Kate Blanchett just being bizarre for three hours. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. There's, well, there's what's, what's so great about her is, is that she introduces the idea of like an ambiguity around whether or not the elves are like good or evil. Yes. Because yeah. everybody at like Sauron and the orcs could not be more coded evil. And then when you look at, you know, the the men and the hobbits and the elves, you're like, oh, good guys. Whereas she comes along and you're like, what's your deal? Like, mm. what what is it that you want? But the truth about what she wants is that she's just so far. This is like, you know, like a, a, a god, like looking down at like the interpersonal relationships between ants. It's like, she's so far above all of this. But then, you know, obviously the, the weight of the task like mm. becomes apparent and then she kind of in, interferes and, and guides Frodo. But, like yeah she's she, she's a really interesting one and i mean e- even just that opening like it's it's so good at just setting the scene i guess at the beginning like that narration uh, like yeah that's a good choice like stunning and the music like the lord of the rings soundtrack is like you know one of my favorite albums if you can mm. call it an album like i think it's the best scored film in the history of film like, try driving down a highway in new zealand while listening to that soundtrack i like, simply yeah. could not because <laughs> i would pass out from crying too much like genuinely that would be like i i can't even imagine like visiting Hobbiton. <laughs> I, I really want to go back to New Zealand so much. If if anyone listening has citizenship, uh, like <laughs> yeah. DM me, like yeah, because I can get married for that. Yeah, you know, it's like I just I want to find some way to go back and um, yeah. I mean, I I I think for me on more recent watches though, um, I I found myself finding Eowyn a favorite character. Mm. Uh, I I think I'm I'm relating to her journey a lot because there's an Aragorn in my life. There was a woman I really fell for and she chose someone else. And yeah. I think it's a very common experience and something that like a lot of people in the audience would relate to her. Ever. Yeah. And um, I've just noticed on the internet what's funny is there are so many memes bullying Eowyn and or yeah. just or or about how she's like quote unquote friend zoned, which which is a word I hate because mm. it, it's about like men not being rejected, but like this happens the other way around as well, and mm. it's not like as memed about or joked about. So it, there, there's kind of a cute thing happening on the internet where there's just lots of like <laughs> like really mean memes about her. But, <laughs> uh, to me, she goes through that you know experience of rejection, which can be so painful, but she is still this badass warrior and achieves all these 
amazing heroic deeds that for reasons that don't have to do with her sexuality or romance or anything mm. that like the, the the i am no man moment is such a dumb technicality to hang that on so i know, I know it's like a fun moment but like as, <laughs> as a little girl like when i saw that when i was well no I, I probably would have been about 14 when i saw return of the king but like i like completely loved the i am no man moment and i think it's just now you know we're in 2023 we've moved <laughs> on in our you know in our feminism and especially with I mean, our Macbeth ideas Macbeth had it as well it's classic it's classic <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's like yeah. I loved Such a it dumb I, yeah. I thought it was cool <laughs> like I thought it was a badass feminist moment it was or maybe not feminist but like girl power moment mm-hmm. maybe and I really loved it and now you know if I watch because I, I I force people to sit down and watch these movies with me mm-hmm. um some of them will be listening and they'll be saying, yes, you did force me to watch those <laughs> movies. Um, but like that moment does elicit kind of a, an eye roll, like in with kind of modern, like if you're watching it for the first time. I now, think it has like, to though. I think we've, we've trained ourselves to, fine, like, yeah. It, yeah, it works. Yeah. So, like, so like her whole journey as a character across two towers and return of the King is, is great. And it's, she starts off as such like a vulnerable, despairing person with mm. no hope for the future. And by the end, you know, she ends up with Faramir, a lovely Donald Gleeson type. Uh, you know, so like, a you lovely know, yeah. Donald Gleeson type. That's all any woman wants, really. <laughs> Donald Gleeson would be cast as him probably if 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 this was happening now. But um, yeah, like, no. But David Wenham was great. Miranda Otto was was so good as Eowyn, one of the few characters in these movies with an Irish accent. So mm. maybe I'm subconsciously mm. relating to her on that one as well. Uh, and, and not in a kind of Rings of Power problematic kind of way, where it's just all the like. All the hobbits have Irish that accents was and they're all yeah. running around looking for their potatoes and covered in muck and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was a bit, it was a, like a little bit odd, but. Um, I mean, I mean, other characters I, I connected with though were the Ents and mm. Treebeard. So I guess, I think this is another reason why I wanted to talk about it on a podcast like this was that um, these movies had an impact on me politically as well, the way I imagine Avatar Way of Water could be for some young kid right now. I mean, it's like a such a strong epic story about like a you know so the contrast between the sort of industrialist world and then nature and the the beauty you can showcase from uh, filming in New Zealand mm. and so I think that was a thing that was that sort of pinged me in a direction of um yeah being involved in environmental activism from a young age and mm. it can be just of like stories like this and the role models within it um uh, which is why something that happened a few years ago was really disappointing to me that I, I just need to vent about now that I have a Please, public platform do. to do it. Um, the actor John Rhys-Davies, who played Gimli and Treebeard and very well res- widely respected, uh, he was on Question Time a few years ago and it turns out he's a climate change denier. Oh, he just started no. repeating the dumbest arguments like and uh, beginning by saying oh we should look after nature and we should protect the earth but, but. <laughs> then a load of like pseudoscience bullshit that is like and for me it's like look should grown adults you know feel personally upset when someone disagrees with their politics i guess for me the reason it hit a nerve is because he was the voice of tree beard tree beard a tree should know better or, or like whatever the like the phrasing is but that was yeah. just like i was so yeah i was so disappointed in him like, that's that's i i wish i didn't know that that, that has made me really really sad yeah because i i i absolutely agree that that like the ends are such an important aspect of of the stories 
environment that you know and you see it in the hobbits as well like they're they're taking as much from the land as they need and no more and then you have that contrast with like the industrial kind of sauron like stuff where he's just like mining the earth for for all he can get and the ants are just these like it always really annoys me when people say that the ants are the most boring part of like of um the two towers is that yeah. where they have yeah. their big um because I'm like, I would listen to tree birds just talk about being a tree. Yeah. And if you want that, you can read the book because he goes on oh, in yeah, the book. Yeah. Like he really just talks about being a tree and like mm. a forest. And But like, oh, that's so disappointing. That makes me so sad. Yeah. Because oh. I know some of the other actors have since been involved in like supporting environmental causes as well. Yeah. And, um, and horse welfare isn't like um, Vigo. Didn't Vigo Morganson adopt his horse? Yes. Yeah. Um, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I know horse welfare is a weird one to throw out there, but like, yeah, the oh, horses important. were. Yeah. You know, they were treated yeah. well on the set of those films. Yeah. And that's really, really important to me. It's like part I don't watch. um westerns because i know how awful um mm. animals were treated in those films back then and i just i simply cannot watch them so or the it's bit like, with the horse and never ending story just horrible just just awful yeah. just like leave the horses alone mm -hmm. like or be nice to them um like the donkey in the new uh colin farrell film <laughs> you, know, you know horses reminding me of actually though uh there will soon be an anime called the war of rohir war of the rohirrim oh yeah, so like there, it's just gonna be like a feature length anime about uh, some part of the history of Rohan. I think just before Lord of the Ring, the the, the story of Lord of the Rings happens, wow. and uh, Miranda Miranda Osho is narrating it as Eowyn, oh, which wow. I'm really mm. excited about. So I think it's the idea is like Eowyn's older now, and she's she's telling you the history of Rohan, and um, I I guess the characters mostly be men as these talking things are, but like I think having her frame it the the way Galadriel's voiceover is such a strong framing for the movies. Yeah. I'm really really excited to see what a Japanese anime studio does with Tolkien. Mm. Yeah, definitely. That sounds incredible. Um, yeah, because I mean, like Ro Rohan and, and Gondor, like their their history in in the films, I think is implied really well, but mm. there's not the kind of the huge like expanse of like here is what ha what has happened up until this point. Here is why these these people don't want to help. Yeah, each other a lot of all. like the set design and stuff implies so much depth in history. Yeah, in a way that like very heavily CGI'd like locations don't anymore. Where there's like bits, especially at the end of Fellowship, where they're in that wood. And there's mm. just like bits of statue. Frodo's just hanging out in like yeah. a bit of a temple. And it's not associated with anything. There's no nothing there. It's just there was something here before. Yeah. This is a very old place. And the, like the one of the two giant statues of kings. On yeah. The, the Argonath. Yeah. Um, of I, I really know. wish I got in the super special edition of Fellowship of the Rings that actually came up one of those. Oh, wow. Should, I got the two towers one, which comes with a golem statue. Oh, wow. Uh, it's the ugliest thing. <laughs> <I was laughs> of course like, it is. Do we have to bring this with us when we move house? Like, mm. yes. Gollum Can stays. we talk about Gollum, actually? We should. Yeah. Or yeah. Smeagol, whichever way you want to kind of like mm -hmm. uh, think of him. I, I I think he is, what is the opposite of a beating heart of a film? Like, but but in, in, in a way where like, <laughs> he's not taking anything away from it, but he's so vital. His journey is... It's obviously the opposite of Frodo's journey. Like Fro Frodo doesn't succumb to the ring because he has his Sam. Um, Gollum didn't, um, or did rather succumb to the ring. And and this is, you know, this is the path that you see. It, it, it's when you're watching the 
parts of the movie where it's Sam, Frodo and Gollum together. It's like you're watching Frodo walk alongside his own ghost. Mm -hmm. Like this is what could happen to you. And I just think like the older I get, the more I appreciate the the character of Gollum and the more empathy I have for Smeagol. Mm -hmm. and for Gollum too, because he has like really funny moments in it as well. And when he has a whole the, when personality. When he's breaking the fish in the pool and singing a little song about Stunning. the fish. Stunning. Like, yeah, amazing. Amazing. Like, yeah. and, and he has uh, that argument with himself um, at the end of The Two Towers, I think. Yeah, it's about yeah. halfway through, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like just yeah. absolutely incredible. And mm. I mean, a lot of that is is like the, the acting and the, yeah. like, you know. It's almost a shame that we're so familiar with Andy Serkis' face now. Yeah, you can see his face in him more than you could previously. Yeah, yeah. Because it is just, I mean, it, it's a pioneering. It's like one of the like most important, I would say, acting jobs of all time. Possibly. Absolutely. Like a like, it completely like paves the way for a lot of what's happened. Yeah. Mm. But you need an Andy Circus level talent to do it. Yeah, um, and he's just outrageous. He's as insane a, as a talent. Like his, I, I'm watching Andor at the moment, and his Prison Break speech in Andor is just unbelievable. Like chills, absolute chills. Okay. He's an amazing actor, but Mm -hmm. then there was also the CG team around him. Mm -hmm. And a shout out in particular to to Richard Bainham from Bally Firmish, who is the VFX artist that what he he was like one of the main people working on Gollum. So then James Cameron hires him saying, I want to make this movie about big blue people. And he does the Navi then for Avatar, wins an Oscar for it. He's nominated for an Oscar again this year for Way of Water. Mm -hmm. He's one of the, just as like an Irish talent in the film industry, he was one of those people who went to work for Weta in New Zealand and ends up being there for these like really pivotal like moments in terms of that kind of technology. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, because I mean, Gollum is just so like he's, it's so important to get him right. He can't mm. be a guy in a suit. So like we we know that we can't yeah. just put makeup on somebody because he has to be so unhuman or un, yeah. unhobbit. Um, that that he feels uncanny so it's like you're allowed to enter this uncanny space with him mm-hmm. so cg makes sense but it also has to be you know realistic enough that you will feel like fear for and of this character mm-hmm. you'll feel empathy with him at times you'll feel you know frustration and rage towards him at times i mean like when when he throws the bread off the cliff and frames Sam and he p- puts the crumbs on Sam and frames Sam. Like, I I sometimes have to like skip past that part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's like, it's, it's such an emotional scene where Sam and Frodo split and like it, it it's so pivotal and he's so important in that but mm-hmm. it's also really important that you understand why he does that and it's just so like well-rounded it's just oh, all these characters i just mm-hmm. get so emotional it, it, like, andy circus <laughs> took real care to like get inside Gollum's head as well so yeah. so one behind the scenes thing i learned when i was in new zealand was um visiting Waitomo caves where you go in and you can't take phones or lights or anything because they have the blue glow worms hanging from the roof of the cave so you're just looking up at that and uh yeah so it's you know I, I, I don't have any footage or photos of it but it's an amazing experience is that and, where uh, um she is where the, where the spider is no that's no, oh, no, different this is, no this is a real place in New Zealand okay and, okay uh, Andy Circus was brought in there like on a boat like into like the middle of the cave and what they did was they left him alone for an hour. They just rode out. 
he's in like this actual cave in in the dark alone for an hour going oh, yes, Rastis, yes oh my god <laughs> i'm gonna respect myself <laughs> he was just doing that for an hour like just to try and imagine how Gollum like would have lived would move uh, around this environment yeah. and think and yeah wow mm. that's actually i know we don't want to talk about the hobbit movies but that's actually i think a part I, I i did not like those movies but the part they got right was um was Gollum and um bilbo's scene mm. i think with the with the ring and and the, the the riddles and stuff um i thought was brilliant but yeah he's just so incredible he's amazing but for me i mean that whole character i guess it's it's a portrayal of the ring and its effects i've, I've heard analogies about it being about addiction or mm mental health issues and then how that's reflected in the other characters like Barmir and Aragorn are tempted Frodo is you know really struggling holding back on mm. giving in to those urges and then like briefly does at the end and um Gandalf being like if I had this ring I would have so much power that it would literally end the world like you cannot mm-hmm. give me this ring like yeah so I mean I think this could really resonate in terms of people who have some kind of experience with mental illness or trying to reconcile with like something dark inside you with you know you still being a quote-unquote good person like if you can like integrate that you know you have the potential to become more evil and harsh and cruel but mm. you're nurturing this other side to you and you're moving towards the light i i think that's like a thing that mm. seems to come up a lot in tolkien's writing and, and doing that through community adaptation. importantly because we know that if frodo had taken the journey alone then he wouldn't have made it because we see that at Mount Doom, he decides like, no, actually, I like this ring and I want to keep it. Um, And so it's the importance of kind of having like community around you in those situations. If there are like, you know, temptations in terms of like addiction or if you're struggling with mental health issues, it's like you, it's the importance of a fellowship, you know. Heroism is a team effort. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, yeah, that's a really nice allegory. I hadn't heard that one before. That's, that's a nice one. Mm. Uh, we never got into why you love Frodo so much. We kind of skipped over it. Okay, because um, of those kind of struggles, I guess you know, because he does, he, he you know, carry a lot, and it's uh, it's 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 like a size thing. It's he's so small, <laughs> and the world around him is so big. Like the stuff that he's like, I any hero who is like tiny, like like Link mm-hmm. in Legend of Zelda, or you know, characters like that that are so small and they have their their little world and they're just taken out of it. And it's it's the fact that everyone around him is just like, we just need to help Frodo. Everything that like for, mm-hmm. for Frodo, like yeah. it's and, and and that he just he takes on the task immediately. He's like. Oh well, I I have to like of of course I'll do it. Like there's no, and and you see the kind of the like I don't want to say grown up. Fro- Frodo's like what fifty odds when he when he leaves the Shire. Forty two, I think, or something. Like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's thirty three at Bilbo's birthday, and then there's like mm. year like eighteen years past or something. Yeah, like it's yeah. it's insane. Um, but not in the movies. He's like a boy in the movies. Yeah, he like looks about twenty two or something. Seventies in the books. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, but. Yeah, it's, he's he's just so immediate, and he's and like the the moment when they're at the council and they form the fellowship and everyone's fighting, and he just stands up and says, "I I will take the ring," and, and no one Gandalf can hear him. Does his little, his and then Gandalf, Gandalf does his little eyes. Yeah. yeah, and he's and Gandalf is so sad because yeah. he knows that now he has to do it, but he's mm. like, "Oh my god, this brave little hobbit," and I think that's why Frodo's my favorite. It's just because there's. There's just this unwavering 
um goodness in mm. him and then you see that you know be challenged again and again and again uh throughout it and then when he succumbs at the end you're like oh god my frodo you mm. know not my frodo and my um, elijah not well. my elijah <laughs> yeah. you know and he just he grows and matures and he's just he's like Whenever I talk about these films, I'm just like, those hobbits were so brave. Although when I was young, Pippin was my favorite because I thought he was the funniest. But I mean, mm. Pippin and Mary, like their their journey is incredible. Mm. Like they, you know, they get separated and when they come back together, they're completely different because they've had these separate journeys and, oh God. Yeah, no, it's the hobbits for me, for sure. Mm. Yeah, I just love them. I love that Elijah Wood like got the job by filming himself jumping around in his back garden. And Did send he? it to Peter Jackson. Yeah, he what? filmed himself like being Frodo in his back garden. Did Robert Rodriguez help him with that? Because I think he was making that a movie sounds familiar. with him yeah, yeah. at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's very cute. He just looks like he's just got the perfect, like, big eyed. Oh, he was born look. for it. Yeah. He's yeah. absolutely born yeah. for it. Like, he's. And Elijah Wood, like, I've heard people give out about Elijah Wood's acting in, in these films. And I'm like, I've heard them give out about Orlando Bloom's acting. <laughs> yeah. And I think he is but... relatively okay. <laughs> As a professional actor, <laughs> can be expected to relatively be. fine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, but I mean, like circling back to the the extras and stuff, like how much the cast got along with each mm. other is also like a really important part of why I love these films so much because you just see them. It's kind of like um, like they do a similar thing with the Harry Potter films where they filmed a lot of like. Uh, extra footage of mm -hmm. them just like working together and working with like the older actors and stuff yeah. and when a cast gets along well like that and you've got so much footage of them just being mates with each other mm -hmm. it just kind of adds to that like uh, sense why do you think that is because it shouldn't matter like because like if i like buy a kettle i don't care that everybody that designed the kettle got along you know is yeah. it a parasocial thing? I mean, I, I consider these special features a, a medium of entertainment in and of themselves. Mm. Like, you know, they're yeah. definitely, they're, they're, they're selling you a kind of story about the film industry and what it is. You know, they're not going to talk about yeah. all the abuse and mistreatment and overworked hours that goes on For in the film sure. industry. And, you know, maybe with this one, it's like Tolkien's characters, you, you're so invested in the journey those characters are go going on and they kind of want you invested in the sort of parasocial like bond of the team that made these movies as well. So when I'm going mm. to New Zealand, I'm not just visiting the filming locations like where, where Viggo Mortensen broke his toe or whatever. I actually mm. drove three hours to that exact spot to <laughs> recreate it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very important. Yeah, because yeah. like, you know, it's not just the your fictional heroes in the movie. They, they are, in a sense, my filmmaking heroes. They were the yeah. ones mm. whose work kind of made me want to get into filmmaking. So I'm kind of visit, visiting these locations as well. And you just feel such a, you know, vibe when you get to a place like that mm. uh, that you've been wanting to see for so long. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I think it's it's also the way that like those those special features and behind the scenes stuff, they they were just filmed in a way that just felt re really like ramshackle and not very like mm. they're not very polished. Yeah, yeah. like they're qu quite shaky cameras and like you know you just kind of get these snippets of life. So th that that adds to a kind of an air of authenticity around it. Mm -hmm. Where whereas now if if you were to like produce a behind the scenes in a kind of you know ready for youtube kind of way like disney you're doing for all the star wars and marvel yeah stuff, have it it's just it's the not the same yeah. it doesn't have the same grit to it you mm -hmm. don't you don't get the sense that all of these people are exhausted from working really hard mm -hmm. and they're kind of just like sitting around and laughing at somebody doing doing a dance or falling over because they're like delirious but yeah. they're also like having a good time with each other mm -hmm. and being treated well on set like i, I feel like i i would i would 
have a very different relationship with the Lord of the Rings films if I found out that Peter Jackson was like a tyrant. Like I think part of the reason why I love them is because I just really like Peter Jackson as a person and then mm-hmm. he went on and did Get, Get Back, back. Yeah, which is yeah. just like, you know, one yeah. of my favorite things in the world as well. So yeah, like everyone has to do, like to make something like the Lord of the Rings, not even like as good as it is, but just like to just to make it like as a, fi- like as a workable film, like mm-hmm. everybody has to be doing their job the very best they've ever done. There's just so much of it. There's so much film. So much. It's so much film. (laughs) It's like they went to this like one field to run across the field for five seconds and they've got a a camera up in the sky and filmed that. And that's like five seconds of the two towers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But they did it. And it probably took like a day of shooting. Yeah. Yeah. It's like like, someone said about um, about Mad Max Fury Road. He's mm -hmm. like, I think it was Steven Soderbergh said, I do not know how to make that film. I could have all the money and all the time in the world. I still could not make that film. Yeah. And the logistics of making those three films is yeah because there's only so yeah. far a budget is gonna get you. yeah and obviously the budget was huge for these films but like this, like there's only so far that's gonna mm-hmm. get you and it's how you use it as well like not mm. not using things like to go back to the cgi thing not just jumping to like oh we can probably make like i don't know whatever like a, if there's like trying to think like a storm or rain or something like oh let's make it in CGI like not doing stuff like that and just like putting your money into costume design or into like or not testing super famous people yeah Yeah. or 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 like you know finding locations that feel like real and tangible and of that world Mm -hmm. and it's just or like hiring Howard Shore like Mm -hmm. you know it's it's like Everything that every decision that was made was made to serve what the vision was. And the vision is so, you know, um, loyal to Tolkien's world that it's just like, it's mind blowing. To me, it's like, it's it's almost definitive in terms of like, mm-hmm. like I feel like the books and the movies are like as definitive of like showing that world as each other, do you know? Mm. Um, and I don't know if I feel that way about any other adaptation. Um, like, cause I'm a, I'm a read the book girl. Like yeah. the, the book's better. <laughs> and like, sure, you like, but they're, they're very different, but they're both Middle Earth, like mm-hmm. unequivocally Middle Earth. So yeah. Um, yeah. Was there any other aspect of either your trip to New Zealand or just the films in general that you wanted to, um, to bring up while while we're i'm i i'm conscious that like we, we have other places to be so i mean and yes i mean i could i could keep on talking about it but i would just say like yeah my my experience going to new zealand and this was like a few months before the first lockdown in 2020 so i got in oh, there just before yeah and this was a trip i'd been wanting to do since yeah that first cinema viewing uh when i was 11 uh so that was how long it took me to get like I was like 30 days in New Zealand in the summer and yeah, it was a great road trip where I was just seeing lots of cool remote places. Uh, not all of them were Lord of the Rings related, but uh, yeah, I guess like if if like me, you were somebody who has nostalgia for Lord of the Rings and there was an impact on you, I, I made this documentary of Far Green Country. So if you're in Ireland, you can rent it from ifihome.ie and I'm sure you have international listeners. If you're outside of Ireland, it would be ifiinternational.ie, but uh yeah, if you, if you watch A Far Green Country, which, you know, I took the title from a line Gandalf has in Return of the King when he's describing the afterlife. And actually, yeah, and I remember being in the cinema watching that when I was 13. My granny had died two months earlier. And that was like 
that was the only grandparent who was really alive when I was young. Like a, a lot of them died when I was like much younger. And I think seeing the impact that had my dad and kind of thinking about death, to, death at the time and like hearing Ian McKellen's delivery in that moment. Oh, uh, yeah. Around the time I was also losing religion personally. <laughs> but mm. Still to have Ian McKellen and his gravitas describe... Um, yeah, I th- and I think they pulled it from Tolkien's writing describing something else like white shores and beyond a far green country under a swift sunrise. So... I ran with that because New Zealand is also a far green country and uh yeah like I end, I I'm just so this is how into Lord of the Rings I was anyway that I needed to make a film about my journey um traveling through New Zealand like that so uh yeah so that's available from the Irish Film Institute for anyone who wants to watch that And you didn't turn evil at the end of your journey so congratulations you're better than Frodo <laughs> hmm. you're like purer than Frodo Um do you own any Lord of the Rings merch and what's the weirdest thing you own if you do uh, I have a bunch of maps that are like, so Weta did these maps of New Zealand, but in the style of a Middle Earth map. So that was helping me plan out the trips. There's a bunch of them like that. I bought tea towels and Hobbiton of these like very abstract designs of Rivendell and Hobbiton. And uh, I brought back a tree branch from Hobbiton. So when I got to the uh, uh, the bag end part of the Hobbiton tour, there was just a tree branch blew down at my feet at that moment. So I just oh, picked it up, brought it in my bag. So yeah, I have some resin casts of that at home. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's probably the most specific thing. Uh, whether or not legally I was supposed to take that outside of New Zealand. <laughs> Look, that's like a really specific part of film history. I also, when I visited Rohan, uh, they showed us like where these huts were set up to be burnt. And we're looking around and I saw a nail on the ground. And the tour guy was like, yeah, that's pretty rusty. That was probably from 20 years ago when they were here filming. So I also have a screw from one of the set builder. So I think there were, yeah, and I picked up rocks in different places in New Zealand. There's a bunch of physical things I brought back from New Zealand. I would say more than, yeah, more than buying merch. I think I kind of, you know, mm. collected some physical things while I was mm. there. Yeah, Cool. It's one thing watching the documentary that struck me was how cool like the smaller bits are. Like when you find like the rock golem looked down, jumped down them from. Mm. That's personally cooler to me than like where Helm's Deep was built into. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. just that where he's like, where there's so little CGI gone into it or so little set dressing where it's literally like, that's the U-shaped tree that Frodo said we need to get off the road yeah, from. That's yeah. it. It's still there. The tree is there. Like, it's like, that's cool. I remember when we were in New York and we just happened to walk past the New York Public Library. I was like, oh, it's the Ghostbusters Library. Yeah. I just, I happened, I didn't plan this. This is amazing, you know? Yeah. It's, the, the smaller little bits are cooler, I think. Mm, yeah, there's a real yeah. kick to visiting these places where these things were filmed and everything. Mm. So yeah, if that piques anyone's curiosity, you can check that out to the Irish Film Institute. I, th- I, I I didn't need a lot of convincing to go to New Zealand, but I mean, now I think I'm going to really actually try and just do that mm. because I want to so much. Oh, it's amazing <laughs> for me. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Cool. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank Please you. plug uh, your show you got coming up. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, um, I've told you all about my movie, You Can Rent a Far Green Country. I also have a theatre show coming up. I'm, I'm dabbling in that world now uh, with the Seen and Heard Festival at Smokali Theatre. So... My show is on the 11th and 12th of February at 3 p.m. It is called Elementaler, and I am playing a martial arts teacher giving a a seminar on five elemental fighting styles, and he starts revealing a bit too much about his mental health, and (laughs) it is a, yeah, so it's a kind of comedy drama thing Seen and Heard is known for, but it's it's a one-man show where I'm going to be doing martial arts on stage with different weapons. There'll be some guided meditations where I screw with the audience. It's a... going to be very fun and I, I really hope that yeah people book tickets through seeing her.ie for Elementaler. Sounds great. Awesome. Andrea where can we find you? 
Ooh. Anywhere? Anywhere? Um, yeah. Yeah. Technically on Instagram. Okay. Yeah. And at Andrea Cleary underscore. You can read my newsletter, andrea-cleary.ghost.io. Um, I'm nowhere else. right. I'm on the 909 podcast. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm nowhere else right now. Cool. Uh, I, I've had the... Oh, oh, sorry. No, go, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say that I actually have a... Yeah. So I have an older Instagram called A Far Green Country Travel. And oh, great. If you scroll through that, you'll see all my pictures from New Zealand. Uh so all the different Lord of the Rings places I, I visited, I'm quite happy. I know sometimes you might get a notification on Instagram. Somebody liked a picture you posted two years ago and you're like, what the fuck? I don't mind getting that kind of notification if you want to go through yeah. and just like all those. Old <laughs> You'll get a lot again. of them from me this evening. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, you can check out that Instagram, but I've switched over to another one now. So uh, yeah, just to follow my work in general, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Victory Content or Victory Content. I'm, I'm actually not sure how it's pronounced. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and Alan, where can we? Uh, so I am, I am Alan underscore McGuire um, everywhere. Uh, Juvenalia is Juvenalia underscore pod on Twitter. Juvenalia pod on Instagram. We have a Patreon where we talk about what we started and finished in the previous two weeks on our bonus episodes. There's about 30 bonus episodes up there now for mm-hmm. you. Uh, thank you to Dean McDonald for our artwork. Thank you to Cassie Delaney for Thanks, getting us Cassie. through some major technical difficulties. Yes. Today. Hopefully you, Calm you haven't in a noticed. crisis, Cassie. Yeah. Stunning. And thank you again, Jonathan. Woo! Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.